I want to tell you this, though. A majority, a, a good population of our high, school, our high school group is actually in the country of South Korea right now on a missions trip. We've sent 22 high schoolers and seven leaders on this trip. They're serving in a ministry called Ilsan, which is a part of Holt International, which is a Christian adoption organization. And Ilsan is a community uh, for people with disabilities um, that are part of the Holt organization, people that for whatever reason weren't adopted, and they've kind of grown up into the system and, and really have grown out of it and into adulthood. And, and Ilsan is committed to providing a family and a, and a place for, yeah, some good photos up there, uh, providing a family for, for these folks, and, and they're committed to them for, for life. And so our, um, our high school group is, is there in, in South Korea, and they're ministering with these people. They're serving alongside them, um, really honoring them. And it's, it's been a great trip. We heard a report this morning. Um, Pastor Adam's wife, Kathy, is there, and she said the high schoolers are just killing it. They're having an amazing time. They're serving in profound ways. So you should be proud of our high school ministry tonight. And some of you are in high school and you're joining us, and we welcome you. I love this last picture. Um, this last picture is really a beautiful picture. Looking at this, my guess is that you wouldn't know that, that looking at this picture, which is, a, which is a residents who are part of the Ilsan community and our high school students and leaders, this is a picture of them together, and this is within days of having met each other. And when, you, when I look at this picture and I see the amount of love and the care and the smiles and the hugging and, and all of that, I'm compelled by that, as you probably are as well. It's just a compelling picture of community, and yet it's people who days before were strangers. And it leads us to a question, and the question is, what in the world can create a community like this? And I think perhaps even a better question would be, who in the world can create a community like this. And if you've been at River West for more than five seconds, you already know the answer to that. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is on a mission and is able to create a community out of people who days before were strangers. Jesus is on a mission to create a community of us gathered here tonight that worship together, that exist in a way that is compelling to the world outside Tonight, we'll open up the scriptures together in Colossians chapter 3. I really believe that this passage we'll look at in in chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. By the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and some folks will hand you one of those. This passage in Colossians chapter 3, I believe, is one of the most compelling visions of Christian community in all the scriptures. Certainly in the book of Colossians. Many believe that actually this is part of the culmination of all that Paul has said about the majesty of Christ, about his deity, about um, about his life. All of that is actually culminating in these verses that we'll read here tonight. And so I want to invite you to, to embrace this. This message that is, was written over 2,000 years ago to a group of Jesus followers in Colossae. I want you to hear what God is saying to them, and hopefully we'll learn together what God is saying to them. But I want you to consider tonight our own life together. What, is, what kind of community is God calling us to be? 
and we'll read this together. Let me read. You listen. I'll read. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. The picture that we have is of a community of God's people. The first words that Paul uses here are, and maybe maybe they they stuck out to you, It, it says in verse 12, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. These three precious words have been used throughout the entirety of the Old Testament to describe God's people, Israel. It was an identity for them. This is, this is who God is for them. This is how he's called them to be his people. And now Paul writes this verse to a group of Jesus followers in the middle of nowhere, a diverse community of men and women, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, young and old. All of them are identified as God's people, the community of Christ together. Those same words are are spoken over the church in Colossae, and I believe that they're actually spoken over us as well. So the scriptures give us this vision of the community of Christ that that we just read, but I believe that this is also, it's, it's a prescription of how we should now live together. How should we live as the people of God? How should we live as the community of Christ? And the scriptures give us four things tonight. I'd like you to write them down. I'd like you to think about them throughout the week. I'd like you to pray through them and embrace them even right now. And this is what what we learned tonight. The community of Christ is bound by the love of Christ. It's ruled by the peace of Christ. Filled with the word of Christ. Lifting up the name of Christ. This is how God's people live together. This is what we're called to do. Who we're called to be. I want to start with this idea of being bound together by the love of Christ. Thankfully, in this passage, we are not left to our own devices to figure out what kind of love Paul's talking about here. We don't have to go to our our own culture to, to look for a definition of love. We don't have to even go to to us individually and define what this love will look like. Paul actually gives us a picture of it, and it starts. In verse 12, I want to read this yet again because this is what he is talking about. He says, bound by the love of Christ, and he describes it as compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He says, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, just as the Lord forgave you. I think this is a really compelling list of virtues. As we read it out, it can be humbling to, to read because if we're even remotely honest, we see 
how we fall short of this list. I think ultimately, though, that this list is supposed to point us to someone who has actually lived this way. Someone who has actually treated every person they interacted with in this way. This list is is not a list of attributes about things that we do normally. It's actually a list of attributes of how Christ has loved people and how Christ has loved us. So Paul is saying, I want you as the community of Christ to treat others in the way Christ has treated you. Did you notice that when he talks about forgiveness? He doesn't say just just be forgiving as if that's an easy thing to do. He says forgive others because the Lord has forgiven you. So he points us to this kind of love and even defines it for us. He says this is what love looks like in the community of Christ. It's self-forgetting. It's other-focused. It's Christ-honoring kind of love. And it really is the first marker of a community of Christ. Verse 14, I want to read that again to you. It says this, Above all these, above all these, these virtues we just read, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says, put on love. The idea is actually, it's like clothing. It's like a garment. He says, I want you to put this on. I want you to wear this. You may not notice this about me, but I have a pretty bad sense of personal style. I mean, truly, it's, I have a mild case of, um, I don't know, my mom told me at a young age that I was colorblind. And please don't ever ask me about it. It's the one thing in the world that I, uh, I don't want to talk about. And yet I'm talking about it with this group of people, and this is going to be on the internet. But because of this, I have, a, I have a hard time figuring out what to put on in the morning. I've literally walked out of our bedroom at our house, and my wife has looked at me and said, please no. Like, please don't do that. Please don't represent our family and yourself like that. I don't know how to put it all together. It's hard for me. It's hard for me. So my wife has basically crafted a wardrobe that I can't screw up almost. Like, it's, it's like neutral, neutral, neutral. And, um, and this is how I live. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know how to dress myself as an adult male, but, um, but she helps me with this. She says, no, try, try that instead. That's better. That works better. Paul says, this is what I want you to put on. This is what I want you to embrace. This, it's like clothing. This is like, try this on, humility. Put this on, compassion, meekness, and patience. He says, you need to put these on. You need to wear these. And then he says, and above all, put on love. Above all of those. It's like, so love is like the garment that puts the whole thing together. It's, all, it's like the belt that keeps the whole thing together. Or it, it's like the garment that's the first thing you notice when someone walks in the room. Paul says, that's love. Because Paul's intention is that the first thing that people would notice when they step into a community much like this is the love that people have for each other. The love that we have for each other is one of the most compelling witnesses to the reality of Christ that exists. Certainly, yes, right theology is important. Certainly, All the other elements of what it means to be a community are important. But for Paul, he says, above everything else, put on love. 
And specifically, the kind of love that we've seen in Jesus. He says, that's what I'm calling you to do. That's who I'm calling you to be. He calls us to to put this on. He calls us to practice this kind of love. Part of my role here is is the pastor of community life is that I oversee uh, what we call our growth groups or small groups. By the way, if you're not in one, you should be. Um, We'd love you to join one. And I talk to people who are in these growth groups and they say, you know, there's people in my group that are hard to love. And I say, yeah, and you might also be one of those people, potentially. I, people, I've heard people say, you know, I, I love the church, but I don't love the people. You know, I love, I, love Christ, I love Christ, just not Christians. Which is honestly something that the Lord hasn't given us as an option. But truly, there's no differentiation between loving Christ and loving people. It's what he's called us to do. It's who he's called us to be. And in the scriptures here, as, as Paul gives us a prescription for how we should live as God's people, he says, I want you to put on love because you're bound together by it. This verse says that love is the perfect bond. It's the thing that keeps a community together. He says you're bound together by love. So practice love. Learn how to love each other. These are the kinds of things that you're going to have to do as you love each other. It's not supposed to be easy. Forbearance, forgiveness, meekness. These might not be your go-to traits. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of community I want. So we're bound together by love. And I love this too. The second marker or the second prescription for this community is that they're ruled by the peace of Christ. Verse 15 says, I'll read it again. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. It's easy to be peaceful with people we like, isn't it? Like with the people, like maybe you're thinking of of people that you get along with really well. Perhaps you have a, you share a political stance. Maybe you've come from a similar economic upbringing, or or maybe you're similar age to them, or, or maybe you like the same kind of music and films, or maybe you like the same college football team. And I think that in, in our world, there's often this shallow, it's a pretty shallow version of peace when it's just based on sort of a common interest that we share together. But Paul says here, he says, you're to be ruled by peace. You know, this, this group of people that Paul is writing to, probably, probably this church in Colossae had almost nothing in common. It's why in verse 11, Paul says this. He says, here, in this community, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, but barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So Paul is saying, there's actually one thing that's brought this group of people together. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that has brought this group of people together. We are compelled to gather, not just as people who like the same types of things, but as people who worship the same God. 
The community that, that, that Paul is talking about isn't ruled by the most successful. It's not ruled by the loudest. It's not ruled by the most talented or the most charismatic. It's ruled by the peace of Christ. This word ruled is a really important word, I think, for us to understand as we, as we go through this passage. It's an athletic term. And um, it, it comes from the arena of athletics. The rule is a word that would describe a referee or an umpire in the field, in the arena, or on the court. Rule is, it is, is the describing term for, for, like, the umpire. And I had to think about this for a while because since I've been a youngster in Little League all the way to now an accomplished City League softball player in his 30s, I've had a propensity to often yell at the umpire to give them my opinion of what their role is on the field and their decision-making. Some of you are on this team with me, and you know that the most likely person to yell at the umpire is the pastor on the team. And um, I can't help it. I don't, I don't know why. So I, I had to think deeply, like, what is, what is the umpire there for? I had to think deeply about this, and, and, and this is, I really believe this. The, the purpose of the umpire, the purpose of the, of the referee is to govern the game in such a way that it is played with both freedom and fairness so that the game itself, the players, and the teams can flourish. So the game has rules. It has boundaries that allow the maximum amount of freedom and fairness between the two groups of people or the two individuals that are competing against each other. And Paul says, the umpire of this community is Christ. And he has a rule that he governs the way that we interact and that rule is peace. Which leads, I think, to a, a, another important question. Same as we looked at love. Like, what kind of love? We should ask the question, what kind of peace? I'll read to you tonight from a, from a pastor from New York City that we've never quoted here before. His name's Tim Keller. That's a joke. He's basically one of our pastors. Listen to this. This is good. I think we have it on the screen. There we go. God created all things. This is, this, is what, this is his definition of peace. He says, God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another. Just as rightly related physical elements for a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings for a community. This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. He goes on, he says, it means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. This shalom is spoken of all throughout the scriptures. God has always intended that his people would interact with each other, with him, and with the earth that he's created in a sense of shalom. It's rightly ordered relationships. And sin, which we talked about last week, has actually ravaged all of those relationships. It's why we experience tension between, in our relationships with each other. Even it would explain why there's turmoil on the earth, on the planet itself. And certainly it has affected our relationship with God himself. But the rule of Christian community is peace. 
And we have to see this. Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this about peace. This is, this is what he has to say about peace. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus Himself is our peace. Which is why he can then say in, through the Scriptures that his rule is peace. It's Jesus who has reconciled us to the Father. It's Jesus who has reconciled us to each other. So it follows that this would be the rule of the community that he's forming. Some of you like rules. So here's the rule. Peace. Some of you don't like rules. Sorry. You got one. It's peace. Jesus is looking for, he's longing for a community of people who are more committed to peace than they are to being heard. Jesus is looking for a community of people that are more committed to peace than they are to getting their own way. I believe this. When you're ruled by the peace of Christ, all the barriers that normally divide us seem to be broken down in his name. The name of Jesus that we just sung about. The name of Jesus actually breaks down what Ephesians calls these, these divisions of hostility that we experience together because we're united and we're one in Christ. This whole series is called In Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that Christ has made peace between us and God and also between us and each other. And he says, and that is how I would have you live. Ruled by the peace of Christ. The third thing, the third marker of this community, and I'm really excited to talk about this next one, is filled with the word of Christ. This community that he's talking about needs to be filled with the word of Christ. Your community, is, it's a hypothetical idea unless you're actually interacting with one another. Community is just, it's just an ideal unless you get face-to-face, side-by-side, working together, serving together, living together. I know that the world of sports can be a little bit of a polarizing way to talk about things, but let's consider the team. What is a team if it doesn't train together? What, if a team if it doesn't, what is a team if it doesn't practice together or compete together? What is a band if they never show up in the same space and practice together? These guys don't just walk on stage and start playing music. They practice together. They're interacting with each other. The idea is that a community gathers together. And Paul tells us, here's what I'd like you to do when you're gathering together. You need to be filled with the word of Christ. I love what he says, verse 16. We'll put that on the screen. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The community of Christ is a worshiping community. It's actually synonymous. To be the community of Christ means that you're a worshiper. And that's what we come here to do. We come to express our gratitude for who Jesus is 
for what He's done. And we do that through worship. And so, how does our worship take shape? Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ, this phrase, the Word of Christ, is used once in the New Testament, right here. And um, most believe that it would certainly include the words that Jesus actually spoke. So if you read the Gospels, you read the things that Jesus said to people, the Word of Christ would include that. But it also includes the testimony about Him. It includes the testimony that the apostles gave of His life, the meaning of His life, and of His death and what that meant, and of His resurrection and of His ascension. If you could put it in a word, the Word of Christ is the gospel. And Jesus says, or and Paul says, let the gospel dwell in you richly. I want you to fill yourselves with the gospel message. I want you to be led forward into worship by the gospel. And there's two specific commands of how we do that in this verse. We'll keep it up there. It says teaching and admonishing. So this idea of of preaching the Word, of teaching the Word, which we do every week here at River West, is a part of of what it means for the Word of Christ to fill us richly. Did you notice that it says singing in there as well? Those those two activities, if you've been here for a while, you know that that really takes up a majority of the time together. And there's a reason for that. It's actually this verse that we're looking at right now. The scriptures actually tell us, they even prescribe for us, this is what you should do when you get together. You should let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching, learning about the gospel, someone proclaiming the gospel to the community. And then we sing it out to each other. We sing it out. We sing out the gospel. Did you know that listening to the preached word is actually an act of worship, which for some of you may mean that sleeping is an act of worship. Am I right? Kidding. Every aspect of what we do here at River West in this service is we gather, we talk about this a lot, is worship. The moment that Colin walks on the stage and, and we read the scriptures together as a call to worship, that's worship. When we're high-fiving each other and meeting new people and shaking hands in our greeting time, It's actually worship. When we give of our time and our talents, and even when we give of our money, of our resources during the offering time, all of that is worship. And yet here, these things, preaching and teaching the word of Christ, singing it, they take precedence in our gatherings. This is is how we should gather So I want to talk about worship for a little bit. I was a worship pastor here for eight years. And I wanted to teach this passage for a really long time. And it took Adam a long time to decide to do a series in Colossians. So I've been like sitting on this next part like forever. But I want to talk about an an aspect of our worship, a dimension of our worship. And it's this. Our worship is vertical. And our worship has a horizontal dimension as well. Truly, so when we gather and we sing, we're singing to the living God who spoke the worlds into existence. The living God 
who is redeeming and reconciling a world who has rebelled against him, a God who sends his Holy Spirit to create his church, to be his ambassadors on earth, announcing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his King. We are, we're singing to that God. So there's a vertical element of our worship, but there's a horizontal one as well. Can we put the, the passage on one more time? I want to point this out to you. Did you notice right in the middle of the words, one another? They're teaching one another. There's a, there's a parallel passage that I just, want to, I just want to read to you because I think that this is important for you to see. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, 19, I'll just read this out. Paul says this, it's very similar to this passage, but he says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What if, what if, what if the purpose of our worship gathering was for something that was greater than your personal connection with God? And I'm not here to say that that's not important. It, it truly is. But what if it was about something greater than that? Our worship tooks on, takes on a, a horizontal dimension where, where Paul seems to be saying something to the effect of, I actually want you to sing to one another. How would you sing if you embrace that? What kind of fervor would you have in your singing if your singing was to one another? The purpose being to encourage and to teach, to declare to one another, this is what's actually true about God, and this is what's actually true about us. Don't you need that? I need that. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together. He says this. This is a long quote, but it's so good and so tiny in the font. Listen, read if you can, <laughs> if you can't. But God has put this word into the mouth of people in order that it may be communicated to other people. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it or sings it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or sister, in the mouth of another. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his sister or brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. That's good, right? Somebody say amen. I love this. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. The idea being that our worship is directed to God, but sung out over each other. So in my eight years as the worship pastor here, I would get, like, let's call it feedback. From That's a musical term. But uh, <laughs> we get feedback. We get notes. We love the hymns. 
they were all like passive aggressive, you know, like we love them. We 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 love the new song. Stop singing that old one. You know what I mean? Like that drummer's too loud. Where's the trumpet? You know, like all they like just feedback. Just like I love this. Thank you for this. This blessed me. It's fine. Some of it, you know, more positive. Some of it a little bit more negative. But here's what myself and, and certainly I was speak for Colin as well. This is what we would love to hear. Somebody come up and say thank you for helping us gather and sing to our God and encourage one another. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to sing to that stranger across the room who somehow is my brother or sister because of who Christ is and what he's done. Like, write that on a note and put it in a box somewhere because I want to read that. Because then we'll know that we're starting to get this. That this is, this is deeper than personal connection with God. And it includes that. But I actually think that your personal connection with God is going to drastically increase the less you're thinking about you. And the more you're thinking about encouraging the person sitting next to you. The person across the room. This is how the word of Christ will begin to dwell in us richly. And I know that some of you might be thinking, you know, I'm not much of a singer. I'm thinking, my voice is pitchy. You know, there's, there's no Simon Cowell here to judge you and to say, you know, we, we really didn't like that last note. Some of you may say, I, none of these songs aren't in my key. You know, I, I hear that sometimes. This isn't in my key. And I, and I get that. But a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of seeing my favorite band, U2. They played at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. And their singer, you may have heard of him, his name's Bono, has an incredibly high voice, has a range that probably none of us have. And yet, one note into the show, suddenly all 50,000 of us are able to sing along with him. How does that happen? And with Irish accents, you know what I mean? It's like, like somehow we're able to just suddenly move from like, oh, well, you know, I go to church and the songs are hard to sing to like, I'm, I'm embarrassing myself in front of 50,000 strangers. I think that, I think it's a perspective that we, that we need to gain when we come here. It's, you know, I think as our, as our passion, as our belief in what we're doing together rises, then our participation rises with it, don't you think? If we believe, so that question earlier, if we believe that one of our primary aims when we gather is to sing out over God's people, maybe we'll sing a little louder. Not for the sake of noise, but so that that person across the room who's dealing with the effects of sin or, or depression or dealing with the loss of a loved one could actually be encouraged and lifted up by your voice. doesn't matter how good it sounds. What if we sang that way? What if we worshiped that way? What if we came before the Lord that way? If we had a, an elevated view that we're singing out over one another, this might sting. Maybe some of you wouldn't show up at 545 when the service has always started at 530. I'm just saying. It's for you. You can think about it. Wouldn't it potentially affect the way we prioritized this gathering? Coming here saying, I can't miss the call to worship. I can't miss that moment. 
I need to declare the word of Christ to my own heart, but there's somebody there who needs to hear it. And they don't need to just hear it from Colin. They don't need to just hear it from Eric or one of the other pastors. They need to hear it from me. We need your voice so that the word of Christ can dwell in us richly. I'll leave it at that. The fourth thing, the fourth marker of this community of Christ is that they lift up the name of Christ. You know, our services, when, when we gather together, our services often end with something of a benediction. We're, we, we end with a recognition that we will be sent out from here after dinner into the world to interact with our family members, to interact with coworkers and people that we go to school with and everyone. And, and that's, that's the reality, is that all of life is not this. We recognize that. This is, not, this is not all of your life. This is a fraction of your life, but we believe that this is, this is an integral part of your existence in the community of God. But we know that you'll be sent out. And so that's why we love verse 17. Did you see what it says? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is a worship gathering, but our worship is unceasing. It's unending. We don't stop worshiping and then go and get on our way. We are unceasingly worshiping all the time. I would even say, I would say that we're, we are always worshiping something. The question is who or what? So we gather here. We come together you know, bound by our love for Christ and each other, ruled by His peace, filled with the Word of Christ. And then we're sent out into the world. And the purpose of us being sent out into the world is to lift up the name of Christ. Did you notice it says doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Which sounds a little bit confusing and a lot of bit daunting, doesn't it? Like everything. How, are we, how do we even... You might look at your life and say, I don't even know how to get going in that direction of everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here's the starting place. How do we lift up the name of Jesus everywhere that we go? Most of the verses in our, in our passage end with something like this. Verse 15 ends with, and be thankful. Verse 16 ends by saying, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17 ends with giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Are you noticing a pattern? Thanks. Thanksgiving. Thankfulness. In the New Testament Scriptures, thankfulness is synonymous with a confession of the Lordship of Jesus. So how do we begin to get on with our lives in such a way that the Christ is honored magnified everywhere that we go? Maybe by being thankful. This is a community of gratitude. Worship is gratitude. We'll come to the table tonight to receive from the Lord, to remind ourselves of what He has done for us, of the cross and the resurrection. And we're also there to give thanks. 
this service is a gathering where we practice gratitude together. The purpose being that we would leave this place and be people who are grateful everywhere they go. So that's the invitation. Come before the Lord with thankfulness. Come before this community with thankfulness. And the world that we step into will be changed by our gratitude. Not because we're inherently happy, peppy people, because we know, but because we know what we've received from Christ. We understand what he's done for us. The word of Christ has, has dwelt in us richly, and it's given us a reason to sing. It's given us a reason to worship, and that affects everywhere that we go. So the community of Christ is bound together by the love of Christ, ruled by the peace of Christ, filled with the word of Christ, and everywhere they go, lifting up the name of Christ, thanking him, expressing our gratitude to him.